Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Traumatic events come into all of our lives. Nobody gets to collect $200 and pass go on this one. Everybody goes through hardships. Trials and tribulations, we've all had our share, right? And one of the scary things about life is that we know more trials and tribulations are bound to come. Most of us probably recognize that we need God's presence during those times in our lives. So, is there a way to ensure that God will always be with us through those times? I can't tell you that following God means that you won't ever experience furnace experiences, but I can tell you that you don't have to face them alone. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Well, today we find ourselves again in Daniel chapter 3. If you've been with us throughout this series in Daniel, you probably recognize that this is our third week looking at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It's a fascinating story and one that we can learn a great deal from about how to face the furnace experiences of our lives. The culture in which we live will constantly be pressuring us to compromise, and you and I have to make this determination. I'm going to stand or I'm not going to stand. In Pastor Clay's last message, he talked about standing up to the pressure of the furnace and standing firm in the face of the furnace. Well, today, Pastor Clay is going to show us what it takes to ensure that we never stand alone in the furnace and how God can use our stand in other people's lives. Thanks for joining us today for our series, Daniel, Unshakable Faith, Unbreakable Promise. Now here's Pastor Clay. Today, I want to kind of start, kick this off with, uh, with rap part deux. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I would not subject y'all to that again. And uh, one rap is about all I've got in me, I'm pretty sure. So, no. <laughs> I just wanted to see what your reaction would be if I said that. What is, uh, what is the hardest thing you have ever had to go through in your life? What is the hardest experience that you have ever had to endure? Now, most of you probably don't even have to think of that, about that it immediately comes to your mind because it was that painful, because it was that hurtful, because it was, it was that traumatic in your life that you know, oh yeah, I know what it was, the hardest thing I've ever been through. Some of you are going through it right now. The hardest thing you've ever had to endure in your life, some of you are going through it right now. For some of us, the hardest, the most painful thing we will ever have to go through may still be in front of us. That's not the encouraging part of this message, by the way. <laughs> but, th- but that's just the truth, right? Let, let, we just might as well be real about it. For some of us, the most painful experiences of our life may still be in front of us. I, I can't say for sure whether you've already been through the hardest one you ever can go through or whether there's a harder one uh, waiting for you just around the corner or, or five years down the road or whatever. I can't tell you that for sure. But what I can tell you for absolutely certain is that Trials and circumstances and traumatic events come into all of our lives. Everybody. Nobody gets to collect $200 and pass go on this one. Everybody goes through hardships. This is certainly one of those moments in the life of these three young Jewish men. And two weeks ago, I gave you a a couple of ideas about standing. I want to just give you a brief review of that. Read that text and then we're going to jump in. Uh, pick it up uh, today. But we started two weeks ago with this idea. We should stand up to the pressure 
of the furnace. And those blanks are already filled in for you on your outline because we already covered that. We should stand up to the pressure of the furnace. Let's read it together. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Everybody here awake with me? Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. We start it with the idea that you and I need to stand up to the pressure of the furnace. And we talked about that. You can go back and listen to that message. But we talked about the fact that that the culture in which we live, the world in which we live, will constantly be bringing to us opportunities. Will be constantly pressuring us to compromise our convictions or our beliefs or our stance about our God and, and what he desires for us. The world will constantly be trying us, trying to get us to, to bow down, to compromise that. And you and I have to make this determination. I'm, I'm going to stand or I'm not going to stand. I'm going to cave in. I'm going to go with the flow like everybody else did. Everybody else bows down, right? You know the story. Everybody else bows down except these three guys. Man, that's tough. That's, a, that's just something we have to decide to do, to, to stand up to the pressure of the furnace. Second idea uh, that we looked at was this. We can stand firm in the face of the furnace. Now watch as the story continues on. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? Or worship the golden image that I have set up. Now if you're ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. 
And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, it's one thing to stand up. It's another thing to stand firm. When, when, when they begin to squeeze, when, 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 it, when it's crunch time and it's like, all right, open the door to the furnace. See that fire? Y'all fixing to go in there. Now, here's your chance. I'm a, I'm a nice guy and we'll give you one more chance. If, you, if you'll bow down right now, when the band strikes up, it's going to be all right. Standing firm. That's what we talked about. Not only does the world pressure us into compromising, but it will put the screws on you in life. It might be your work situation. It might be your boss. It might be a, a, a school or a professor. It, it might be a lot of different things, but you have to make a determination if this thing is real to you, if this, this whole God thing is something that you're, yes, I'm in. This is, this is what I want to do. Then you have to make a determination. I'm going to stand firm no matter what comes my way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down, King. We're not going to do it. That's what we're talking about here. Okay, so standing up and standing firm, let's jump into the third idea uh, today. And it's this, we will never stand alone in the middle of the furnace. Can I get an amen? We will never stand alone in the middle of the furnace. Picking it up in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. And then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, The flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste and said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Duh! Certainly, O king. He said, look, look, I see four men loose and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. We never have to stand, we will never stand alone in the furnace. Now the truth is, God had been protecting these three young Jewish men since the beginning. He was protecting them in chapter 1 when he, ma- he made them actually physically healthier, living off of just water and vegetables, than all the other guys that were eating the king's choice food. He protected them in chapter 2 when the king wanted all his, all of his officials, all his way, he just got ticked off, he wanted them all dead. And God protected them by answering their prayer and giving a, a revelation to Daniel, an answer to, to 
their prayer about what the king's dream was and what the interpretation of the king's dream was and he protected them, them, them there. And now in chapter three, he's protecting them in the midst, in the middle of, right smack dab in the middle of this fiery furnace. He, the truth is, he had always been protecting them. Even in the face of an angry king and his fiery furnace. By the way, uh, can we just detour here a minute? Uh, I'll just tell you, this really has nothing to do with the message, but I promise I'll come back to the message. But can we just detour here a minute? I was thinking about, y'all didn't answer, but I am, I'm just going anyway. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about Nebuchadnezzar and his decision to heat the furnace up seven times hotter than it normally was. Why, why would he do that? I mean, I, I know we know why, right? He was ticked off, right? He was mad. He was angry. They defied him. They stood up to the king, and nobody does that kind of thing. And so he got angry. He said, heat it up seven times, hotter than normal. But I'm pretty sure that whatever the normal temperature of the furnace was, it was more than enough to burn these guys up. And so by heating it up seven times and then throwing them in, what he really would have done was brought about their death much faster and there would have been much less suffering on their part. And I don't think that was his intent. When he said, heat it up seven times hotter than normal, I'll teach these guys. I don't think his intent was to, to make it less painful for them. But if, if I understand the way it would work, because it would be so much hotter, they would actually would have died much quicker and would have suffered much less. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words... His anger caused him to do something that really didn't make any sense. Now, I know this is all a moot point. I, I know it's irrelevant because God stepped in and he, and he protected them. And, and you're probably thinking, what, why are you thinking about this? Anyway, it seems kind of weird. I, I mention all this just to say this, ladies and gentlemen, to, to all of us here. Decisions that are made in anger are rarely very good decisions. I, I, I'm just telling you that when decisions are made that are, that are based on, birthed out of the fact that I'm mad about something, I'm angry about something, I'm upset about something, it's usually not thought through very well, and it's probably not very God-honoring, and it's probably not going to work out as you might have hoped that it would. But can I tell you this? The truth is, we make those kind of decisions all the time. We make decisions out of anger all the time. Not everybody, that, not everybody that divorces, but many people that separate or divorce make that decision when they're angry over something that's, that's happened. People uh, quit jobs when they're angry. Parents often discipline their children in the moment of their anger. They make the decision on how they're going to discipline them. Now listen, the, the, uh, the anger may or may not be justified. That's not the point. The point is that when things are, are separated, when decisions are separated from the emotion of anger, when they're thought through and, and contemplated and prayed through, there's a much better chance that those decisions will be, will be God-honoring and will work out better. That, that, that's, that's all I'm saying. That's the only point I'm trying to make today. And like I said, it has nothing to do with the message really, but... Maybe that's for somebody in here. I don't know. Okay. Back to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It has been one crisis after the next, right? It has been one trial after the next. It has been one situation after the next. Can I get a witness? Can anybody relate? 
Now listen, I know, I, I think I said this a couple weeks, I know that none of us wants to, you know, compare what we go through to what these guys were about. I mean, they're thrown in a furnace. I know we don't want to say, well, you know, what I'm going through is, is that bad. I know we don't want to do that. But, but in the moment, in the midst of that event, that trial, it, it's, a, it's a furnace type experience for our lives, is it not? I know it's not actual fire, but it still hurts. There's still pain. Nebuchadnezzar says, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I, didn't we throw three in there? I, I, I can see four in there now. You know what I wonder? I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were as surprised as Nebuchadnezzar was to see a fourth person in the furnace with them. Now, I know that they knew that God could deliver them, but I'm, I'm wondering if they could have possibly imagined that the way that he would do it would be by getting in there with them. You got to love verse 25. Verse 25. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I guess, I guess Nebuchadnezzar got an answer to that question that he asked a little earlier. Y'all remember that question? And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, I guess he found out big time who the God was that could deliver them out of their hands. Here's the thing. I, I, I can't tell you that you, can't, that you won't experience furnace experiences in your life. I can tell you you will. But I can't tell you that, that following God means that you won't ever experience furnace experiences in your life. But I can tell you that you don't have to face them alone. Now, I know furnace experiences can vary. Uh, they can vary in, in their severity. They can vary in, in, in what causes them. I was thinking about uh, when my dad died a few years ago. Uh, he had pancreatic cancer. And we knew it was probably only a matter of time before he would uh, die. We just weren't sure when it was. And the call came that he had passed away. Uh, it came on Sunday morning, uh, Father's Day, as I was just getting ready to go out the door to preach a Father's Day uh, message. Now, I, I know that nobody would have blamed me if that day I had said, listen, guys, I, I, just, I just can't do this today. I can't preach. It's, it's Father's Day. I, can't, I just can't do this. We either we're going to have to have a longer musical worship aspect of the service or one of the staff is going to get up and bring something on short notice. But I, I just, nobody would have blamed me if, I've done, if I had done that. And I'll tell you the truth. I really think that some people thought I, it was a little strange of me that I didn't do that and, and maybe I didn't love my dad or something like that because I, I got up there. But I really felt like that God wanted me to stand before the people that day and proclaim a message about godly dads. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't without pain. It wasn't without some tears. But I can tell you that I absolutely did not stand alone that day because I sensed God's presence and his power working in and through me. And if memory serves me correctly, it was one of my better Father's Day messages. It it may be based on our circumstances. It may be emotional. It may be physical. The trial may be any of those things. But what it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be alone. Um, Listen, would you read this well-known passage of Scripture with me, maybe one that, that some of you have read many times, Psalm 23. Would you read it out loud with me, please? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you know why that passage of scripture has been read at countless funerals? Because it reminds us that no matter what we go through in life, God is there. That no matter what we have to endure, even as we make our way across the valley of the shadow of death, God can be with us. Maybe somebody in here is thinking, well, that sounds great. How can I, how can I know for sure? How can I be certain what do I need to know to make sure that, that I never have to stand in the furnace experiences of my life alone? What do I need to do to make sure that I never stand alone in the fire experiences of my life? Maybe somebody in here is asking that question. Thinking, I certainly hope that you are because I hope that what we're talking about not only encourages you, but I hope it challenges you to think about, hey, hey, what, it, what do I need to do to make sure that I don't face those fiery furnace experiences alone? Well... There are a couple things that you need to be aware of. First one is this. Make sure that you know him. Do you understand what I mean when I say know him? Make sure that you know him. Make sure that you know Christ. Do you understand what I mean by that? Let let me try and explain to you. Knowing him involves more than intellect. It's not just rational. Okay? You You can know all the stories about Jesus. You can know all about the miracles that he performed. You can know all about his teachings. You could have grown up in Sunday school and and heard all of those stories. You you may have uh, rationally worked through and studied uh, the empirical evidence for the life and and the birth and the life and the death of Jesus Christ. You can know all of that stuff up here and not know it in here. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It involves more than your intellect. It's not just a rational thing. Now listen, certainly the intellect is involved. We should think through the claims of Christ or the claims of any uh, belief system. We should examine the evidence. We should study the life of Jesus Christ. But but it's more than up here. And each of us should be asking ourselves, what kind of relationship do I have with God? How do I know him? is Is that my... Is that my idea of belief? Did I just know him up here? Maybe some of you have read this passage of scripture in James chapter 2, verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. I really think that's the way James meant it. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. I, uh, I have these conversations from time to time with people, and, and I sometimes get an opportunity where I get to ask them about their, their spiritual life. And, and if, if the opportunity is right, it gets around to asking them eventually, uh, do, you, do you know whether you'll go to heaven or not when you die? And you get varying answers sometimes and this, uh, this and that. But, but uh, sometimes the answer comes back, yes, I know I'll, I'll go to heaven when I die. And if you probe a little deeper and you say, well, how do you know that you'll go to heaven when you die? Sometimes you'll get a response like this. Well, it, it's because I believe in Jesus. One of these times when somebody gives me that answer, I'm going to give them a big old fat, well, whoop-de-doo! I don't even know what that means. James says, you say you believe in one God. 
That's not it. That's up here. But is it in here? Knowing him is more than the intellect. Here's something else to keep in mind. Knowing him, it's not just about the inspirational. Knowing him involves more than inspiration. It's not just respectful. I know, I know a lot of people that are very respectful of the life of Jesus Christ. I know people that are inspired by the life of Jesus Christ. They're inspired by the way he lived. They're inspired by the good that he did. They respect his teachings because his teachings were good for mankind. They respect that. And they, they are inspired to, to, to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked. They're inspired to live better lives. They're, they're inspired to be morally better people, right? But that's, that's not it. That's not enough to just be inspired or to be respectful of who Jesus was. I know people like that. Okay, let's get to it. Knowing him involves intimacy. It's relational. That's what knowing him is, ladies and gentlemen. It's relational. It's intimate. Knowing him is this desire to to be with him, to want to know him more deeply, to want to understand, to be connected more closely. Intimacy, connectedness, closeness. That's, That's belief that leads to salvation. It's, it's not by coincidence that God says through the prophet Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen, God says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. All your heart. Can I just ask you, is that the kind of relationship that you have with God? Is it a heart thing? Is it an intimacy? Is it a desire? And I, I understand that we have good days and bad days and, and, and flux. And, you know, I know that there can be some of that. But I'm saying, is your relationship with God intimate? Is it one that is personal? Because if it's not, you need to seriously consider whether you actually know him. Not just know about him, but know him. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are, are you trying to get me to doubt my salvation? That depends. If your idea of salvation is based on a belief in Jesus that doesn't change you and doesn't challenge you and doesn't cause you to want to draw closer and be more intimate with him, if it's just this knowledge that you have and this idea, well, I, I, maybe I should be more moral or, or that sort of thing, that, if that's your idea of what belief is, if that's what your salvation is based on, then absolutely, I'm trying to get you to doubt your salvation. Because, ladies and gentlemen, salvation is not based on a religion. It's based on a relationship. And you need to ask yourself, do I have a relationship with him? Okay, so do I know him? First idea. If I want to make sure that I don't stand alone in the furnace experience of my life, make sure that you know him. Second idea, make sure that you go with him. Now listen, I, uh, this is the truth. I tell telling this uh, yesterday, I think it was. I had, a, I had a, this came to me the other night when I was asleep. I, I've been do y'all remember a few weeks ago when I said, we were talking about dreams and I said, I don't ever dream? Well, I should have never said that because I'm telling you, I have had so many nightmares. I mean, nightmares, not just dreams. I've had so many nightmares since then. Scorpions and, and oh, I can't, I can't even, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this came to me the other night at the tail end of a nightmare. This thought came into my mind and I woke up and I said, I prayed. I said, Lord, don't let me forget this because I really, really, really think this is important. You listening? Don't get mad at me. 
many people think, and I'm pretty sure I have probably at some time in my life thought this, have thought that success in the Christian life means coming to the place where you know that God is walking beside you. And there's some blanks right there in your outline. You can, you can fill that in right now. Success in the Christian life is getting to a place where you know that God is walking beside you, right? Yeah, how things, man, it's good. Uh, you know, uh, uh, God's walking beside me and things are going good. Y'all got those blanks filled in? Good. Put a big X through that whole thing right there. Because, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listen, I've, I've, I'm telling you, I've learned this in my life. Success in the Christian life is not getting to the place where God is walking beside you. Success in the Christian life is getting to the place where you know that you are walking beside God. Ask me, isn't that the same thing? Ask me. I'm so glad you asked that. Because no, it's not the same thing. Getting to the place where you understand that God walks beside you probably means that you genuinely want to honor God with your life. But getting to the place where you understand that you walk beside God means that you understand that it's not even your life to begin with. Maybe you've read this verse, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, one of my favorites. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. I, I don't even, I, I'm just a dead man walking. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not even my life anymore to determine what, what I'm going to do or not going to do. Getting to the place where you understand that God walks beside you is wanting to honor God with your successful, usually well-paying career. But getting to the place where you walk beside God is coming to the understanding that you're willing to say, God, if I can bring greater glory to you by having little to no success in this life at all, and if I have to live in a life of poverty, if I can bring greater glory to you, God, that way, then God, that's what I want to do. Lead on, Lord. Lead on. Getting to the place where you understand that God walks beside you if you're single means that You'd like to someday marry a godly person and, and honor God by, by being a godly spouse. But getting to the place where you understand that you walk beside God means asking the question, God, do you even want me to get married? And if you don't want me to get married and I can bring greater glory to you by remaining single my entire life, then God, that's what I want to do. Lead on, Lord. Lead on. Oh, no, 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 now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, I, I went to ChristianSingles.com and seven matches came up. And everybody knows that seven's an important number in the Bible, so it must be God's will that I get married. Hey, it may. And I'm not saying that he doesn't. All I'm saying is that getting to the place where you're willing to understand that you walk beside God and not the other way around means that you're willing to ask the question. And you're willing to let God lead you wherever that road takes you. That's good stuff. I hope somebody wrote that down. Listen, can I just tell you this? You can can find example after example of this in the Old Testament. Every time the nation of Israel, when they made a decision to walk with God, God walked with them and he blessed them and he provided for them and he protected protected them. But every time they decided to walk off on their own, to no longer walk with God, they walked straight into trouble problems, heartache. Are you going with him? 
Are you walking with him? It's a great question to ask ourselves. Okay, let me, um, let me go. I, got, I, need, I need, to, need to go on to the last point this morning. Let's, let's do that. Last stand. People will stand amazed at God's presence in the furnace. There's more I can say about the other one, but we, we really need to go on. People will stand amazed at God's presence in the furnace. Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace, a blazing fire, and responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. <laughs> that one funny? It was a few minutes ago. He said, what God? What God could save you? Come out, servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and, and saw in regard to these men that the fire hadn't no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielding up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. He's not, he's not there yet. I've said this a couple times. He's not there yet. He's still growing in this thing. But you can see how in each chapter, God is using Daniel and using Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bring Nebuchadnezzar along, to bring Nebuchadnezzar to a greater understanding that, of who this God is that they serve, that who Jehovah God is. He's not there yet. He's going to have a setback here in the next chapter, but, but he's bringing him along. And I, I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking it must have been an almost comical scene. When they, when they come up out of the fire, I can just see uh, the, the king and, and his posse. I can just see all the, uh, you know, satraps, officials, all that, the whole bunch gathered around. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I'm just imagining they're like, you know, wide-eyed and kind of figure maybe they poked them to see if they were really real. Probably touching their clothes, sniffing for, for even a whiff of smoke. But nothing, nothing. Because these three men were perfectly kept by the power and the presence of God. And they were amazed. That's what happens. That's, that's what happens when we give God an opportunity to, to show that he's God in our lives, in those furnace experiences of our lives. I've said this before. Anybody can have, can have God when things are going good. Anybody can believe in God and people are like, yeah, okay, good. But in the furnace experiences of your life, to be able to say, no, I, I, I'm, uh, my God is faithful. I'm going to stand up for my God. I'm going to stand firm in my God. And I will not stand alone because he's the God who can protect me and provide for me. However he decides to do that, people will stand amazed. I'm telling you, people will stand amazed. Whether it's a job loss, whether it's a, a, a marital crisis, whether it's a, a financial loss, whether it's a, a cancer diagnosis, no, no matter what it is, no matter what it is. That's the greatest opportunity we have for people to stand amazed. I was going to read you another story um, out of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Don't have time today, but I, I want to close. I want to tell you just about one other uh, biblical story that involved uh, fire. It, it's a story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And um, 
Uh, he's, he's up there, and there's this wicked king, King Ahab, and his even more wicked queen, uh, Jezebel. And uh, Elijah's taking the stand, and the people of Israel, they're kind of, eh, you know, they're back and forth, kind of wavering on this whole God thing. And they're not really in, they're kind of not really out. They're kind of going through the motions. And, and, uh, and Elijah says, gather all the people. Get them up here. Oh, and by the way, bring all of your, all of your priests. The text says, 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 prophets of Asherah. Connect it. Anyway, 850. And they all gathered together there. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we find this, this verse in verse 21. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Watch this, very insightful as to where these people were spiritually. But the people did not answer him a word. You know why? Uh, well, we'll just kind of see how this thing goes. And we'll just, I don't know. Jehovah, Baal, Elijah, Ahab, I don't know. Well, we'll just kind of see how it goes. So Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do, guys. Tell you what, you fit, set up an altar to your God. And you set a sacrifice, cut up an ox and, and, and set up a sacrifice, get the wood. And you get everything ready. And when you're ready, you call on your God to come down and, and to consume the, with fire, to consume the, the offering on the altar. And I'll do the same. And the God who answers, he is God. <laughs> Got one word for you. Bold. And the God who answers, he's God. So the, the prophets of Baal, and as they all do that, they, they get the altar ready, a stone, and they put the wood on it, and, then, and they put the pieces of the ox on there to cut up, and they begin to dance around and, and cut themselves, which was part of their practice to show their seriousness, you know, their devotion to their God. And they cry, I mean, from like morning to evening, and they're going on. It's, it's a pretty comical story because Elijah kind of starts ragging them about it, about their God not answering and all this stuff. But finally, it becomes clear that all they've done is cut themselves up a little bit, and there sits the sacrifice. It's still right there. And then Elijah says, all right, boys, back up. He says, now I'm going to call on my God. Oh, before I do, pour water on my sacrifice. Do it again. Oh, let's do it one more time. Pour water all over the sacrifice. says that there's a trough around the altar, and it it fills up the, the trough. It makes like a canal all the way around it. And Elijah says, God, be God. And the text says that the fire came down and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the very stones that the the altar was made out of. The text says it even consumed the water that was gathered around it. And then, 1 Kings chapter 18, after that happened, the people, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. It's just giving God the opportunity to be God so that people can be amazed by what they see. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you will walk with God when you're not in the furnace, God walks with you in the furnace. And that when we... When we stand up and we stand firm, knowing that we will not stand alone, and we give God the opportunity for his power and his presence to work in the situation, people at that point, I'm telling you, will stand and be amazed. They may not all believe in our God. They may not all come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they will all be amazed at what they see God do in our lives. 
And if people can do that, if people can be amazed at what they see God do in our lives, wow, that's, that's a good life. Thanks, Pastor. We certainly hope that those of you listening to our podcasts take comfort in the fact that we don't ever have to stand alone in the furnace experiences of our lives. God stood with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and He'll stand with us as well. But as we heard Pastor Clay say today, we need to make sure that we know Him and make sure we go with Him. When we do, and God stands with us, just like with the three Jewish young men in the furnace, people will stand amazed at God's power and presence with us in our trials and tribulations. We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.